Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Santosh, pediatrician researcher. You got the deal. Josh, the karate kid or Cobra Kai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I can't stop being angry at the LaRussos. This is like just <laughs> – they're not the heroes. They should never be the heroes. And, it, oh, I'm so angry. <laughs> you remember how you went through another – like show with me and you were so angry about the show and everything. Oh, this real is time. Like yeah. Furious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Rage. laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Although this one is not about the actual, the quality of the show. Santosh, Santosh. Right. Yeah. 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 Hold your okay. horses. Let's catch the audience up real quick. I promise. Okay. Then we'll okay, get back listen. into it. <laughs> All right. Fine. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Dr. Santosh. I'm your pediatric infectious disease and researcher, and I, I've got something on my mind. <laughs> uh-huh. Out in the podcast sphere, it's a digital bird. It's a, <laughs> a Minecraft plane. I don't know what the equivalent is, but it is time yeah, yeah. for our annual, eighth annual, venture Ooh. to San Diego Comic-Con. And you know what that means. It's time for oh, another year yeah. of... Comic Book Medicine. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Welcome all you folks who've been with us for all these years. And welcome new people who are about to get a taste of some of the coolest merging of pop culture and medical science ever, bar none. I'm standing by that. When we end a season, we go out with a bang. And yeah. once again, we're going to tackle a number of medical issues that come up in pop culture, comics, television, and the like, and see what things are possible and what real-world things they address. So, like in the real world, in the Johnny Valley. was the karate kid. Jo- Johnny was the real karate kid. There. There. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I grew up in the Valley in the 80s. There was nowhere <laughs> near the amount of karate used for conflict resolution as is implied by the show. I honestly do love it, all in all. And it kind of – Cobra Kai, by the way, is the show I'm talking about, guys. And it, okay. Let's move on yeah. to one of our comic book ventures. I'm going to jump around a little. Uh, after all, there's a whole bunch of different worlds where other things made you angry or you didn't care about this or I didn't care about it. And <laughs> – we're talking sure, about sure. a whole multiverse. Marvel, the cinematic universe has absolutely exploded where you now have essentially unending possibilities. There's a universe of paint, Josh. Rather than talk about multiverse of madness, or at least the okay. main characters in it, Doctor Strange himself, I want to mention mm-hmm. a cameo. Everyone's favorite <laughs> man with multiverse experience, 
of course, uh, Bruce Campbell. Oh, absolutely love Bruce Campbell. If you guys, well, there are those of us, Josh, and, and you've introduced me to this a little bit, all the way old school, like Ash and the Evil Dead, where Bruce Campbell played the central character. But Bruce Campbell, if you look through movies, he's been in absolutely everything. And going back to the beginning of Marvel, he announced the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man to the wrestling ring. The Amazing Spider-Man, like that one. In this one, he has a brief negative interaction with Doctor Strange (laughs) that leaves him beating himself up uh, over it. Doctor Strange put a spell, I guess, on his hands where he had to keep punching himself? Well, on only one hand, it would appear, right? Oh, Yes, because he wasn't because one other hand was trying to hold it off. So yes, there's two things I want to reference. One is that's a fantastic reference to Army of Darkness, where Ash was also beating himself up. So for any of you who have seen both of those, fun little (laughs) nod. But more importantly, there's a real medical condition that is similar to that, not wizard curse, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, okay. Well, so where basically your hand does whatever it wants independent of what you'd like it to do that kind of thing is it a spasm or a alien hand syndrome is not alien from outer space but alien as in (laughs) foreign to you right correct uh is characterized by involuntary movements of a limb which usually is the hand that seem purposeful or functional And people who have this may also feel that the limb is not part of their body, which is different than a phantom limb, because that's, of course, still having a sensation of a hand that is yours, but not present. Whereas this one, they look right at the hand and say, this doesn't belong to me. It's somebody else's hand. Right. And so the I I think the specific thing that you were putting in there was purposeful. So there are focal seizures that you can have in a hand or a foot or something like that, where you still feel like, oh, that's my hand, but it's spasming. Or likewise, you can have a musculoskeletal you know, condition where the arm or the hand will seize or spasm, not from the central nervous system, but also from peripheral nerves. And then, of course, you can have, you know, severing the nerves or at some point where the the hand can contract or kind of curl up but josh you're talking about actually like maybe picking up a pen and writing or something or or like well, complex purposeful move it can do a whole bunch of things santosh it has been seen to hold an object reach out and grab things almost as if let's say you're trying to walk towards the exit and all of a sudden your hand reaches out and grabs a knob or a cabinet. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, not okay, quite gotcha. as crazy as like your whole arm shoots out, but if it happens to be by like kind of spasms, ouch, uh, spasms like that. Um, yeah. And as also seen in the movie Doctor Strangelove, I don't know if you recall that one, he had his alien mm-hmm. hand syndrome. And there oh, have been okay. reports of people with of this syndrome either hitting or attempting to choke themselves, as oh. was seen by Ash. Now, gotcha. common causes of alien hand syndrome, at least in the literature, include strokes, brain tumors, and neurodegenerative illnesses like Parkinson's, occasionally Alzheimer's, but really more of the rarer ones. Because so, as I said, this is not something you see with any kind of regularity. Usually what mm-hmm. you see is something we call neglect Uh, neglect not (laughs) not i've left this thing alone but literally unawareness of one part of the world and this isn't just like visual blindness or or that kind of a thing literally to these people it's as if and and oftentimes left-sided neglect is one of the more common that half of the world, as far as how the brain processes it, visually, spatially, all this kind of a thing, it does not exist. As for instance, Josh, if you ask them to draw a clock, right, they'll, they might draw the circle, but they'll crowd all of the numbers to one side of the clock, one hemisphere of the clock. Yeah, it'll only be a semicircle. 
Yeah, just like that, just like that. Just and like in Moon Knight. They're, they're just like in Moon Knight, <laughs> exactly right. There is one other kind of cool situation where this can happen, Josh, and that is when either purposefully or surgically you actually perform a uh, uh, a severing of the corpus callosum, that big fibrous interconnection where all the nerves between our two hemispheres run, right? So this is some weird stuff. So for instance, there was a split-brained person, we call him split-brain, where he sometimes pulled his pants up with one hand and down with the other because one side of his body was like, I'd like to get dressed. And the other one's like, oh no, I don't want to get dressed. The sides of your body literally split up. So alien hand syndrome is an actual disorder uh, that you can see and not just a result of angering wizards in the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I wonder if Dr. Strange knew that and he was the one who actually invented that spell because he was like, oh, this would be a cool one to do. Oh, that's true. He was a neuro. You know what? He was a neurosurgeon. He was a neurosurgeon. So his spell could have actually, you know, caused a severing of the corpus callosum, you know, or, you know, any other type of focal neural degeneration that was temporary with his magic. Can you imagine he's operating on a brain tumor and thinking to himself, ooh, this would make such a good hex? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be and surprised. And that's what he that did. Like that's <laughs> that's what he did to Pizza Papa. He just gave yes. him some neurodegenerative illness. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if you find yourself so cursed, <laughs> you you could always see him like instantly going like, oh, all right. I just need the medial aspect of the frontal lobe, and bam. <laughs> Yeah, And the timeline is consistent with uh, what we saw, where it could last, uh, you know, several weeks to perhaps months <laughs> later. Treatments may involve Botox injections, which can temporarily weaken the muscles, kind of prevents them from performing those alien actions. Yeah. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy to, well, reintroduce yourself to your hand. Yeah, yeah. And that, it sounds really weird, but you're kind of convincing yourself that that's your hand with outside help and then when it does the right behavior you actually reward yourself i know that sounds super weird but it works and or distracting the affected hand by having it hold an object or be involved in a task with say like a fidget spinner <laughs> oh my god that's going to be my excuse from now on when i'm just walking around with fidget spinner Okay, but then if you put your fidget spinner down, you have to punch yourself in the head to convince yourself. <laughs> Think carefully before you want to commit to that. It's a oh lot to take gosh. on. See, this is why you're my friend. You're always thinking ahead. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, another corner of the Marvel Universe. Okay. Our next one involves two different characters, Captain Marvel, and oh, maybe okay, we can yes. talk about the Thor movie as well. So Captain okay. Marvel, uh, not uh, Ms. Marvel, the new show with uh, Kamala Khan. Yeah, if you enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming, great. Same exact aesthetic, but totally different story. Yeah, uh, very, very cute, teenager-y, that kind of thing. Yeah. Nor am I talking about uh, Carol Danvers or the okay. Marvel Corps. I'm talking about the person who gave her those abilities in the comics, Captain Marvel. Marvel himself, pretty interesting. Uh he was one of the Marvel equivalents to Superman, hence the name okay. Captain Marvel. And there's a fascinating story because there are characters with that name in both the Marvel and DC universe and ooh the fights <laughs> <Yes>. they had. <laughs> did they but, um, did they do crossovers? No, no, they they had legal fights over who could use that name. Oh, got it, got it. And, okay. and I'll, I can't say who won or lost, but uh, Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> got it. So okay. <laughs> being a cosmic hero, Marvel, the Kree hero, found himself face to face with a lot of different foes and locations throughout the universe. And this actually ended up with him getting cancer after being exposed to compounds 13 nerve gas. 
Oh, that sounds creepy. Now, there is no real-world equivalent for this that we know of, I hope. It had, however, <laughs> a carcinogenic component that his negabands, the Cree negabands, would not allow mm-hmm. to be treated while the bands were on. So that's kind of how he shifted, almost like clicking his heels together three times. If the bands were off, he returned to either his normal self without powers, or he could switch places in the universe with Rick Jones, who also hung out with the Hulk. Oh, um, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So they were uh, kind of instant mind sharing or jumping kind of They thing? were power band. Just, just think of it as you put them okay. on. And he got his powers. And but you got power on. Okay, got it. Okay, but, but because, so once the negabands were on, he he couldn't what now? Well, here's part of the, he could still do all his powers, but he couldn't be treated for this cancer, despite saving his life at the time. So it stopped Compound Thirteen from killing him on the spot, but it triggered a mutation in the disease, causing it to be immune to photonic energies, which is Captain oh. Marvel's power set. Okay, well, this is this definitely has real life equivalents because cancers over the time, you know, even while you're trying to treat it, they do mutate and become resistant to chemotherapy. And there are some radio resistant cancers as well that develop over time. So he they actually made this a whole comic event, the death of Captain Marvel. Spoilers. The scientific superhero community all came together, and you would think that literally the greatest minds in the Marvel Universe could slow it down, but they yeah. still couldn't oh, cure it. Way, so, Just real quick for those who don't know, so scientific community in the Marvel Universe, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man, all the, all the super smart folks, and all, all together in one room trying to solve problems, usually creating more problems. With the band's essentially all known cancer treatments would stop working because if he removed the bands, it would allow the cancer to advance much faster and kill him within hours, which meant he had to keep the bands on. But with the bands on, he was immune to all cancer treatments. Oh, that makes sense because he'd be, he would be resistant against radiation. So thus the cancer is resistant to radiation. He can't be poisoned. And that's what chemotherapy is. I wonder, I wonder if this was written in, if this was written in a more modern context, now that we have actual like targeted monoclonal antibodies and stuff, that it still would have been resistant. That that would be an interesting twist well, on there. Because, you could bypass it that way. Because this is a comic book universe, you also have to wonder if this is implying a sentient cancer, since most cancers <gasps> oh. went in remission, such as they would be kind of with the negabands, they're held mm-hmm. at bay. Most of them don't come back at unprecedented levels overnight. You don't really see that where a cancer that's been in remission all of a sudden one night, the next day, instantly, you know, is (laughs) except for some of the leukemias with blast crises. That's yes, that's absolutely true that they can sit dormant for a while and then all of a sudden have a, a really rapid course. But that generally speaking it's not because they've been suppressed by themselves it's because you get a sudden mutation that allows for a blast crisis to go about from perhaps a compound 13 so my (laughs) my theory is that he had some kind of sentient leukemia okay that's a decent possibility yeah yeah absolutely in the marvel universe yeah they never actually go into it he just has non-specific cancer but Captain Marvel does in fact die surrounded by his heroes and his friends in the Marvel universe. And there are some, and you know, they're standing guard because you know, when a good time to attack is, although they don't address it in the comic, when a bunch of superheroes are either surrounding the bed of their friend or to try and attack that person in case their friends aren't guarding him. Oh yeah. Oh man. Even in death, they can't get a break. Poor dudes. That's the, happy ending oh well uh, i suppose so well because yeah we're still talking multiverse right in a different storyline santosh are you how familiar are you with marvel comics i mean i've been throwing eight years worth of stories (laughs) at you what have you how how comfortable do you feel with the terms i'm i'm tossing around i i feel pretty comfortable i i know that because in 
as a, for instance, in DC, they use a different methodology to get, you know, multiple versions of people around. But the multiverse in Marvel is a little bit closer to what we think about in like quantum mechanics and that kind of a thing, that every time a decision is made, a, a branch point, that a new little multiverse spawns off and therefore you can have infinite different possibilities, which means there's like infinite Dr. Santoshes and infinite Dr. Joshes out there. But likewise, then you can have superheroes going back and forth, supervillains going back and forth, and you can have fights going all the way down from street level, which is some of our favorites like Daredevil, all the way up to like consuming the entire multiverse type of fights. So, yeah. Now, are you familiar or have you ever heard me talk about the Cancerverse? The <laughs> <laughs> the no, this is cancer? not. This is not, and well, uh, it's an evil universe. Now, oh, there's a couple. Oh, oh, wait, 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 sorry. This is one of the multiverses, the like a universe. Yeah, not one touched on in the film, but sure. In <laughs> let's go back to the death of Captain Marvel, who okay, lay dying you. of an untreatable cancer. Well, in a different universe one that was ruled by the elder god Sithon. Now, for those of you wondering who Sithon is, the temple that Wanda went to in Multiverse of Madness was a temple to Sithon. Oh, yeah, Think it. of him as the Cthulhu of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's kind of a blatant ripoff of the squid-headed dark god Cthulhu. And the source of all chaos magic from H.P. Lovecraft. As Captain Marvel lay dying of cancer... Sithon from a different universe reached out to him and offered, you know, if they would perform a ritual to allow him essentially a small portal into the world so he could lend his power, he could cure Captain Marvel of cancer. Oh, oh, pacts with dark gods are never good. And in this universe, Captain Marvel agreed and performed <gasps> a ritual with several of his friends. And instantly, now here's the, here's the thing. Okay. They fulfilled their half of the bargain, and uh -huh. he was cured of his cancer. In fact, the entire world was cured of death. The, oh. the ritual captured death. Sathan was able to kill it, and with strange eons, even death may die. And once it did, sure. nothing could die, and everything became a warped, kind of cancerous version, just trying to spread the further influence of their lord this evil god, Cthulhan, Sathan, oh. Cthulhu. <laughs> you almost so, slipped on that one. <laughs> but so, that's a really interesting concept. And, and, and it actually does harken back to something that we worry about as physicians, especially as lifespans get longer and longer and longer. Josh, you and I both know cells only have so many cycles in them telomere shorten you get mutations and this kind of a thing and the chances of a malignancy happening or something become cancerous is just a function of time as well as the other Santosh, factors you know i cannot yeah. tell you how many times my work in palliative care has present has prevented incursions from the elder gods into our universe <laughs> It's is just, it's a, doing? it's a it, daily struggle. Is it just, am I like, uh, uh, he said, hi, Dr. Josh. And then you go into a room and then you like close the curtains and there's like low muttering in a pentagram on the ground while you're trying if to. If your doctor is not, <laughs> if your doctor is not discussing packs with demons with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. This is not true. Then oh, God, he is no. probably not Doctor Strange, the okay. Surgeon Supreme. Sure. Which was yeah. which Surgeon Supreme actually really interesting run. Sadly it was canceled at six issues, but if you come across it, it's Doctor Strange at least operating as a neurosurgeon again and in between okay. fighting demons and occasionally patients may or may not sit there and kind of ask but he views disease in a very different way as a sorcerer than just as a physician a lot of fun anyway that, that okay. is two different okay. ways cancer has affected the marvel universe um one the loss of one of the 
greatest heroes they had known, and his death stayed permanent for, well, a long, long time in Marvel Comics. Oh, really? His inability to face death, something the palliative care team could have helped him with, led to the complete ending of another universe, and they do occasionally try and invade. So, wow. So that universe, that particular universe, the Cancerverse ended like that? because of the, Well, the Cancerverse uh, still exists. Every now and again, they dip back in there for storylines. That's so creepy. That's so... Just things just growing, 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 and no death. And so therefore, you know, mutations happen and it's just cancer and then cancer's on top of cancer. Oh, that's so freaky, Josh. Wait, is this one of the universes then where like they got rid of death as in captured death because death is an actual person? Yes. Oh, cool. Let's let's do at least one more Marvel story. Okay. All right. Well, at at least one more Marvel Studios character. And then we'll get to a different one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The Hulk. The Hulk, famous for being virtually indestructible. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. And um, pelted with gamma radiation, which we've talked about before. Bullets, bombs, lasers, nothing can pierce the green Goliath's skin, which can be a serious problem, as you may imagine, when it comes to medical treatment. Yeah, yeah. If you need to, like... You know, actually save his life by, you know, cutting him open or something. Your your scalpel would just break. As we've also seen with Luke Cage, who mm, has yes. bulletproof skin. You know, superhero battles are dangerous. And if a hero like the Hulk is ever gravely injured, what are you going to use to treat him? You can't use a needle, can't use a scalpel. Even a defibrillator may or may not have an effect. Which means okay. being invulnerable could be the very thing that ends up killing him. Um, oh, or, sure. you know, having Ant-Man explode inside him, I think, as they did in What <laughs> If. Stop it! <laughs> Ant-Man exploded. Oh, gross. Well, he exploded <laughs> He exploded his heart, not his lower organs. Yeah, his sphincter. Yes. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but separate from using Ant-Man, um, in The Incredible Hulk number 365... Uh, In a storyline by Peter David and Jeff Purves titled Countdown, Bruce Banner gets poisoned by a scientist who ends up being the brother of a Hulk nemesis. It's not important. Uh, Bruce Banner gets poisoned. (laughs) And the poison continues to affect the Hulk who begins suffering from multiple heart attacks. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Realizing he needed help, Hulk went to look for Reed Richards, who was giving a speech. Unfortunately, Hulk like bursting through the window like the cool or wall like the Kool Aid Man made everybody freak out. So they had to fight a little bit first while he's having multiple heart attacks. Oh no, poor guy. Okay. Oh, just as a side note, so possible, you know, cardiotoxic medications. The first one that comes to mind is Foxglove or Digitalis, which could cause multiple like arrhythmias and subsequent heart attack. Boom, boom, boom. And probably wouldn't be hard, certainly in a comic book setting, to slip into somebody's drink with some kind of disguise. Yeah, it doesn't taste of much, really. That's that's the yeah. scary part. Um, but he was finally knocked out by Ms. Marvel during one of his heart attacks. And oh, okay. then when he was transported to a nearby hospital, he was told the doctors needed a blood sample to figure out what was poisoning him. But because they couldn't pierce his skin... Or even his sure. gums with oh, their needles. Or his tongue, like nothing. Yeah. Okay. So how do you suppose they got blood? Uh, you're right. They could test for digoxin if that's what we think was the cause. You can look for a digoxin right, right. level. Okay, okay. So um, you could try for other mucosa. Like if you maybe his insides aren't completely invulnerable. So you could actually do something like an endoscopy, right? And actually find a blood vessel, you know, near the stomach or something like that, um, that, you know, you could cannulate. Or, I mean, the one of the softest portions in anybody's body is like under the tongue. You can do a draw to if you're absolutely desperate. That's a good thought. But in response, Hulk simply asked for a test tube. Okay. And hit himself in the face until he got a bloody nose. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, it gets better. 
I mean, not the cleanest sample because you're going to have like mucus and stuff in there too, but okay. Although his healing factor quickly sealed up the wound, Hulk mm-hmm. just kept punching himself repeatedly until okay. his nose dripped enough blood for Reed <laughs> and the other scientists to analyze. <laughs> This is <laughs> right. So, if the invulnerable, the only thing that can hurt the invulnerable thing is another part of the invulnerable thing. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so, in them, he's like, "We we know you're having heart attacks. We don't know what's poisoning you. Let me just beat myself in the face. Can sure. I stop yet? <laughs> nope. Little more. <laughs> Little more." <laughs> Unbelievable. No, Josh, come on. There were so many other ways to get some blood. He seriously just punched himself in the face. That would hurt so much. Oh I think Hulk. it was a I think it was a very imaginative creative solution from two <laughs> writer from two writers whose power set could have painted them into a corner. Sure. Okay. Alright, fair, fair. <laughs> Although it does imply that Ant-Man would be of much greater use in the medical world as a capsule endoscopist than yeah. as a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> he would be – well, what is that show? Uh, it's a movie, Josh, where the, it's a submarine that shrinks down. The Incredible Journey or the – Magic School Bus. No, anyway. it's not the Magic School Bus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's been thought of many, many times that if you had some sort of shrinking technology, because human hands are so adept and everything like that, that if you could shrink down the instrument and then just guide it into whatever place you needed to, that would be the coolest technology in the world. Yeah. Let's move on to our, uh, our next story. Mm-hmm. Are we out of the multiverse? We're, we're going to leave Marvel behind at least for a moment. Okay, got it. Other, other properties deserve some attention too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I I have a heart. In fact, yeah, <laughs> I've got I've got two of them. Two hearts are better than one, right, Santos? <laughs> no, no, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, you can say, would... oh, got uh, Zoidberg. Zoidberg had multiple hearts. No, Santos. Doctor <laughs> Who. Oh yeah, who? Yes. No. <laughs> you're you're taking me into the TARDIS, aren't you? Let me hang out with you. I, yeah, we're going to head to a time and relative dimension in space. Yeah, yeah. And talk about okay. Doctor Who, who mm. I would have said about five minutes prior to this conversation, famously is known for his alien physiology of having two hearts. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they mention any of his other organs throughout the rest of the massive series of Doctor Who, but even non-Whovians do know that Doctor Who, two hearts. Well, this is something that can in fact happen. It's a real surgical procedure that can take place outside of the Whoniverse. And again, not common, but there's something, uh, when we're talking about heart transplants, there's two different approaches that can be taken. The more common of the two is known as the orthotopic approach. It basically means take out the old heart, put in a new mm-hmm. heart. Yeah, plain and simple. You you pinch off all the blood vessels. You usually put them on bypass, right? So the blood is no longer flowing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
take out the old one. You got a little place where you can put the new one. Squeezy, squeezy. Easy peasy. However, there is if the orthotopic approach doesn't work, uh, either because of anatomical reasons or lack of good quality donor hearts, then occasionally a heterotopic heart transplantation will be performed. Now, this is also known as a piggyback heart transplantation. And before (laughs) I take away that adorable mental image. Sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've done some cool journal clubs lately where it could actually be a piggyback. It involves taking a healthy donor heart and implanting Mm -hmm. it on the right side of the recipient's damaged heart. Then both both hearts are surgically attached to one another, allowing blood from the damaged heart to flow into the new heart. Yeah, yeah. So you basically are giving a live organic assist. Well, rather than just letting the new heart kind of work on its own, you, you know, two hearts are better than one. (laughs) The new heart can then pump blood around the body and is accomplished Mm -hmm. by leaving the recipient's heart in place and connecting the donor heart to the right side. Now, it's rare, but it is advantageous because the new heart can still act as an assist device if complications occur. So think about it. Even if, let's say, your heart normally has an ejection fraction of 15%. Pretty bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can't you're not going to be walking more than 5 or 6 steps with that before having to really lay down. And then you get a donor heart that has an ejection fraction of maybe 40 or 50%, a little bit closer okay. to the normal range. Well, now it's not just 15 it's a bonus 15 and you're working up around 65, the functionality of what we see for a much more normal heart. Very, very cool. And I've got to say, you know, Christian Bernard, who pioneered this thing in late 1970s, this was really so that you could actually treat acute rejection before we had anti-rejection medications, right? You could still keep that native heart, and then you wouldn't know if that new one came in, would they reject, would they not reject. The new heart would be the healthier one, but you'd get some residual function from the old one in case you you know, just rejected and shut down the, the new heart. So it's still used for some things, Josh. So You know, if you have severe pulmonary hypertension, which means that your blood vessels feeding your lungs have high blood pressure rather than your peripheral, you know, the the blood vessels going out to your arms, legs, and head and everything. So for that, um, the heterotopic transplant seems to be much better because you said like it goes on the right side, right? So you can feed the right side of the heart with a little bit more flow and get, you know, help it kind of assist and get over that high pressure in the pulmonary arterial circuit. So it still has some uses, but it's not used much anymore because the original purpose, which was to help through rejection, is much better now that we have drugs like cyclosporine and serolimus and all these kind of things to help us uh, prevent rejection. Both hearts still rely on one another. It's not like one immediately replaces all of it. They have to work in tandem with a companion. So there you go, folks. (laughs) Gallifreyans are walking among us. (laughs) They totally are. Uh, Although they might not be able as easily as you think to travel instantly through space and time. Or regenerate. (laughs) (laughs) Or regenerate. That's that's a major problem actually right there. (laughs) Now, one of the things that comes up in a lot of different superhero properties, whether it's Marvel, DC, The Boys... Okay. If you had to list, let's say, your top three most common superpowers that you tend to see, what right. would be up okay. there for you? Not necessarily ones that you would want, although I'm open to hearing that too. Sure. But what are some of the most – when I tell you it's – if I say here's a superhero story, what powers right. are you just assuming? So they're usually physical. So super strength, super speed, invulnerability – those are uh, tops up there. Um, and then you do have some people who go f- more for the kind of mental aspects like telepathy and, you know, 
the telekinesis and, and that kind of a thing. So I, I but I, I tend to go more for like Superman is the kind of stock hero and his biggest things are invulnerability and super strength. And I guess flight along with that is a big one. Everybody wants to fly. Well, originally he could just leap tall buildings in a single bound flight. Flight oh, came later. That's true. Yeah. Right. So um, his, his flight actually came from his super strength, right? Cause he just jumped. But laser vision is a pretty big one too, especially if we're talking oh. about Superman. Oh, and yeah. it got me okay. thinking, have you ever stared at a computer screen too long? I was about to say, have you ever sat there reading for a really long time and your eyes get tired? And then I realized what century I live in. So have you ever been scrolling your phone or <laughs> reading, <laughs> or oh, reading a computer? People, people still read books. It's okay. But you know how your eyes fatigue after focusing in one space for that long right yeah so you're well something's way up close you focus on it then you try to look far away and everything's blurry how do you suppose that would affect somebody with laser vision that's pretty intense focus i mean you are refracting light to the point that it can cut things you know it's not just causing a (laughs) gentle little sunburn on somebody people are lasering buildings apart yeah, if you yeah, are yeah. focusing your eyes, <laughs> what kind of damage do you suppose that's going to do in the short or the long run? Because that's pretty intense focusing to cut a building up. Yeah, I mean, if you have that kind of laser power, first of all, you need a power source in the eye. I don't know where that's going to fit. And then that energy has to go through uh you know a focusing lens you do have to get um stimulated emission of radiation right that's what a laser is usually that happens by reflecting the light between two mirrors you know back and forth until you know it forms that single beam and then out through the lens um and then it's got to be powered but yeah yeah that kind of focus is very very sharp in order to focus the beam down small. Now, I don't know, because in some cases with, you know, Superman and stuff, like the beam is quite wide and big. It's it's not focused. Or one of your favorites is Cyclops. The beam just goes out, you know, so there actually isn't very much focus there anyway. It's very diffuse. I was, you know what, we'll come back to him in a moment. But okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. When you're talking about these, how would that even work? Aside from the power source, I you have know. muscles in your I... eye that handle something called accommodation, all right? Yes. Accommodation mm-hmm. happens with the movement of the lens inside the eye. This movement yes. is controlled by muscles that usually relax to see far away and contract to see anything nearby. Yeah. Now, and it's separate the, from... The idea of this is that the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. This is this is really because there's a lens suspended, you know, between those two ciliary bodies, right? And so, if you have a more rounded lens, right, when just like what you're saying, it's relaxing, then it's easier from light from further away to focus in. Then you stretch it out, and then it flattens, and you're able to focus close up. So it's it's a really cool biological mechanism, Josh, that we've actually tried to like biomimic and steal a lot of the time. It is such a neat little machine. So this is how the lasers would basically work, how you can make the beam wider or narrower narrower by focusing mm-hmm. near or far, kind of like you're trying to look at one of those magic eye pictures, the 3D ones. You right, relax right? your eyes and, you know, fight your enemies. Now, even if lasers could be adequately focused without causing permanent damage to accommodation, I would think that the heat generated by continuously firing lasers out of your eyes could be inflammatory (laughs) or cause burn damage to nearby nerves. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to, like in the case of a Superman, you're, you're, I guess writing into the comic that his biology is such that he's invulnerable to his own laser blasts, right? So that his own tissues don't get burned by them. And so his, you know, he's got like diamonds for 
lenses and that kind of thing. Something where, you know, they wouldn't. All get right. Out. That's. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a cop out, but I'll, I'll grant you. <laughs> yes, that is, that is it certainly, is. if you change the material, the lenses are made of. Okay, fine. Uh, right. But, but even the, even the strongest ones in the world, Josh, you're absolutely right. Are going to get burned out over time, especially if you're pumping that much power through them. I mean, I guess there's nowhere really safe to fire lasers out of. You definitely wouldn't want to do it from your mouth. You'd have (laughs) (laughs) Although for me, like dragon fire breath, like the old school, like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, if you have a draconic or or a half dragon character that can that has a breath weapon, I always thought that was way cooler. I bet they taste nothing because they always have burned palates. Like when you eat a pizza yeah, yeah. that's too hot. <laughs> that's true. Just Dragons so never enjoy pizza. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the title of a book right there. Dragons never enjoy pizza. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, where's the safest place? The hands? Just the sheer four. And, you know, that's like firing a gun. You have a kickback, which means you have a kickback, there would be an upper yeah. limit. There's an upper right. <laughs> limit on how much force you can push out of your hands before you start yeah. breaking your wrists. That's what always scared me about, for instance, like Iron Man, right? With the repulsor beams that he had, not his flight, which actually definitely could kill him with whiplash and everything. But if he fired a repulsor that was so strong from his hands, like the palms of his hands, and that could actually like break down a wall. Like if he didn't also kick backwards in order to, you know, absorb that shock, if he tried to stand still, like that thing would crush his like radius and ulna and humerus right into his body. So there's really no good place to fire lasers out of your body. (laughs) It's just not... Out of your body, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I will admit the most realistic depiction of how to sure. safely handle that is Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, okay. before so... everybody starts getting their spandex in a twist, I'm aware that Cyclops doesn't actually shoot lasers per se, such as his beams come <laughs> yeah. from the force or the punch dimension. <laughs> uh, when but, you taught me about this, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> the punch dimension. When he does keep on his visor, we can treat it as if it is the same as lasers because sure. his visor allows him to basically open and shoot out at whatever. He can have his eyes the most relaxed without getting accommodation injury. Okay. Because he allows the visor he wears in front of him made of ruby quartz to then further focus the beam to the narrow level he requires. So he okay. does use corrective lenses. He's the superhero yeah. who uses glasses yeah. to use his ability properly. That's fantastic. And I never really thought of it as, you know, actually talking about disability in the context of superheroes, because the first one we always go to is paraplegia, right? With Professor X, but he does. He has essentially a scary disability, and he's using a prosthesis in this case to help accommodate. That is so cool. The most realistic laser based <laughs> superhero I can think of. Um, now, for yeah. those of you who are sitting there worrying because you do scroll through your phone too much, don't worry <laughs> about it. Actually, all eye strain from overfocusing will resolve with just eye rest. Stop looking at stuff for a while and it will get better. Yes. <laughs> um, now, accommodative ability is generally pretty well developed by four months of age and starts to work until around age 40. Wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> Oh, but no. when the lens begins to become less flexible and harder to move, <laughs> that's why the majority of us older adults may require reading glasses or bifocals. This insulting <laughs> journal. Just recognizing his own mortality as he sits in his microphone. You know what? For anybody who does have this, just and you're not old, like 40. (laughs) This is like the time we looked at the meme about the Super Bowl and Snoop Dogg and everyone was on there. And both of us were like, oh, finally, a modern artist. (laughs) 
<laughs> you forget that all those hits are like 20 to 30 plus years old. Oh, That makes me so angry, Santosh, that you know what? I think, yeah. I think it's Morbin time. No! <laughs> That's right. You didn't think we were going to let a comic book medicine episode go by without no. referencing the yeah. most talked about film of the year. Yeah, not in 2022. We we would have our podcasting, our science and medicine and entertainment podcasting licenses revoked. If we didn't go over that's right. The Morbius sweep is coming to this podcast. <laughs> now you may be asking yourself. Yeah. You may be asking yourself, home listeners. Yeah. Wait a minute. What could Morbius have to do with medicine? He doesn't possess any of the mystical vulnerabilities that supernatural vampires have. He doesn't care about your garlic, holy sure. water, crucifixes, or silver. None. Zero. And then some of you are saying, well, maybe he's like Blade. He has an aversion to sunlight. You know, he's got that photosensitive skin. Um, Wait, Blade. But he's Blade not incinerated can, by a daywalker, it. though. So is Morbius. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. He has been shown to heal from multiple gunshot wounds in under an hour, so he has a healing factor. The speed and uh, strength and all that kind of like that supernatural stuff, yeah. He also has. You know, more severe injuries like broken bones or burns can still heal, but it's accelerated by feeding on blood. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so he can heal up, but if he gets some, you know, sucks some blood down, he heals even faster. So let's let's diagnose Morbius. Santosh, if you (laughs) had to take a look, because here's the thing. For those of you who didn't see Morbius, which I can't imagine is anyone really, yeah. <laughs> but no, but I mean, just it was in just case, one of the most single most watched, you know, movies of all time. Just, <laughs> but just in case, yeah, just in case, Morbius is a brilliant scientist with a unspecified, vague, quote unquote, blood disease. Yes. Uh-huh. He researches the blood and DNA of vampire bats because reasons. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. Looking for an yeah. answer to his blood disease, vampire bat. I think you see where this is going. Uh, <laughs> Hijinks hi ensue, and Morbius <laughs> ends up a pseudo vampire with a requirement for feeding on blood. Right. And a questionable moral compass. So sure. there you go. I, I just, you now know everything I, you need to. So, <laughs> Santosh, what kind of diseases do you think would cover either the blood disease that Morbius had pre-transformation or would account mm-hmm. for his symptoms post-transformation? Okay, so pre-transformation... We have discussed vampirism and Count Dracula before, so definitely a throwback, but I will put out porphyria as one of the possibilities where you have trouble with either the construction or the breakdown of hemoglobin and therefore can become horribly, horribly anemic and likewise weak uh, and and all these things going on. Interestingly, your uh, pee turns purple in one type of porphyria, not, not all of them. So that's my guess for that one. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And we've talked before, um, usually in our Halloween episodes about porphyria (laughs) being a vampire disease. It does make you very sensitive to sunlight to the point where you cannot go out. It often causes receding of your gums. So your teeth can become a little bit blood stained as well Mm -hmm. as gums receding, making your teeth look larger, possibly fang-like to the uninitiated. Uh You do have to frequently, if not feed on blood, receive multiple transfusions due to these hemolytic effects. Yes, and sometimes it can be really quite frequent transfusions, which can 
not only leave you feeling weak all the time, but you can start hemolyzing the donor blood, right? Because essentially it's a kind of a temporary transplant. And so you can develop antibodies against that and start to destroy that blood. So that's no good. Um, but and because wound healing that, requires, and on top of that, wound healing requires blood. So feeding oh, on yes. blood really would make you heal faster. <laughs> Maybe right. not in hours, yeah. but certainly <laughs> without it, it would take much longer. Yeah, and this is a genetic disorder. So we talked about it as one of the leading candidates for one of the vampirisms behind the legend of like a count. Dracula, because in a royal line where you had a lot of, you know, intermarriage and crossbreeding, inbreeding, I should say, this would be one of the diseases that could prominently feature in a bloodline of royal descent. Which is how vampires got associated with nobility. But Morbius is a man of the people. He's a scientist. (laughs) He's a man of the people. (laughs) he's a nobel winning he's a nobel winning man of the people now here's the thing you may be like okay well he's definitely still a vampire because he bites people and you know most of his victims die or are severely injured by his bite you know who else gets severely injured by a bite everyone if (laughs) if you were to walk around biting people Good chance they could die depending on where they're bitten. And (laughs) unlike supernatural vampires, his victims do not become vampires themselves, at least depending on which storyline you're reading. Yeah, he doesn't Um, turn any victims. So he's a vampire of one. Now, again, if you want to look at this as some kind of sentient leukemia, as we saw with Captain Marvel, Mm-hmm. Um, you would treat it as, and that's what's giving him those supernatural abilities, the speed or the strength on top of all the symptoms. Then you want to look into irradiating it, right? Oh, sure. Amongst other things, yes. Chemotherapy and radiation are mainstays for treatment of leukemia. Yes. Well, in, let's see, I think the spectacular Spider-Man yeah, oh, okay. the Spectacular Spider-Man number 38, the right. radioactive blood of Spider-Man once caused Morbius's vampirism to go into remission. This is a thing that happened oh. in the comics. Oh, gotcha. And we've discussed this before in terms of the Hulk and Spidey. Do they actually still carry around radiation and are they actually exuding radioactivity or did they just have irradiated blood and that's it but i guess in this particular iteration we're saying that his blood is actually radioactive yep well they we've talked about spider-man's radioactive blood before and how it once gave somebody cancer but that is another episode and i encourage you to listen to our archives to find it. But yeah, so Morbius bit Spider-Man, got irradiated by his blood, only this time it cured his cancer instead of causing it and sent him into remission and Morbius became human again, didn't have to feed on blood for quite some time. He then developed a serum based on Spider-Man's blood that would help to hold off his his vampiric episodes so he basically would inoculate himself with this serum derived vaccine oh look how much science is in (laughs) spider-man that's fantastic i i really really love that josh holy cow i'm still trying to figure out how you would call this particular condition that he ended up with as a cancer rather than as a genetic change. That one is still, I'm wrestling with that one a little bit. Because how is radiation going to cause a vampirism to go into remission? There has to be, in order for something to go into remission, something has to be active within it. And that implies vampirism is not a genetic change. So we're definitely looking at some kind of blood disease, which removes it from the realm of porphyria, but does allow, if it's something circulating within the blood, whether it's an immunoglobulin or an antibody, it is something that can be affected by radiation. 
Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So we kind of have to kind of sideways, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> come up with the the mechanism of this particular disease. Uh, but there it is. And you know, to be fair, cancer, you know, when it comes up, is a genetic change. Uh, you know, there there are changes and breakdowns in those particular genes. It's just you know, not quite the same type of genetic disease that we think about with, uh, you know, if it's a metabolic disease, for instance. It's, yeah, what bothers me is that on-off switch. It's the on-off yes. switch where it comes back immediately and in strength rather than gradually over time, even with rapid division. So, right, and right. when we're talking about, whenever you talk about Morbius, who does interact frequently with Spider-Man, sure. which is why they're trying to, Sony's trying to get their own universe of spider-villains, yeah, but, absolutely. But that is not the only blood-related superhero who Morbius has crossed paths with. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned before the Hulk, Santosh. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, not so much Bruce Banner, but another upcoming Marvel show, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk. Oh, okay, yes. All right, cool. Michael Morbius, who you might also recall as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Morbius. Uh, if, we, if, if we must. If we, <laughs> just... I, I mean, I should I not assume an encyclopedic knowledge of the recent well, I, and I, and award deserving Morbius film? Yeah. But <laughs> No no, you're he, you're hundred percent right. I just I hate the fact that he was a doctor because he did nothing doctorly in that film. Nothing. <laughs> Morbius in the comics yeah. selflessly saved She-Hulk's life by stabilizing her erratic transformations. She didn't know oh. what how to control them like Bruce Banner. And okay. he allowed he stabilized her with a serum that he had created to cure the remnants of his own condition. A serum okay. that, if you may recall, was developed from Spider-Man's blood. Okay. Yeah. Um, allowing her to change forms at will so she wouldn't always be stuck just as the Jolly Green Giant. Uh, gotcha. As a thank you for helping to stabilize her ability to transform, she defended him in court on a charge of murder. Oh, And okay. managed, because She-Hulk is a lawyer superhero... And managed yeah, yeah, to is. reduce his conviction to involuntary manslaughter due to his medical condition of vampirism. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'm in full agreement with that because that kind of provides a, what do you call it, kind of an escape uh, from his responsibility. But I get it. I, I do understand. You're right. That is where the believability line is drawn. <laughs> No, not that. It's just that if I was, you know, if we were judging the case, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if it makes you feel better, let me tell you about one of his supervillains. And in fact, okay. I even sent you a picture. Dr. Oh, Thaddeus okay. Payne, who appeared oh. in Morbi- who appeared in only, as far as I know, a couple issues. But the first was Morbius, the Living Vampire, number four, in okay. 1994. Uh-huh. He's a... He's another physician. Uh-huh. Dr. Payne is a sadist who is unable to feel pain and has prosthetic hands equipped with surgical tools. Santosh, I sent you a picture of him. Why don't you oh, go ahead and describe yeah. that to our listening audience? <laughs> this is it's our annual creepy. bonus supersized episode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's scary to look at. It's scary to look at. There are... You're you're focusing on one particular panel, but there's two overlapping panels in there, and it, it's a guy in a very traditional surgeon outfit. So he's got the green scrubs and the little you know skull cap on. He even has like the old timey light, like the forehead lamp that you would have. But his hands, Josh, are surgical instruments, um, Freddy Krueger style. Yeah, well, but even more complicated because he's actually got, you know, like a bone saw and scalpel and a spreader. um, And he, for some reason, is digging into his left arm with his right uh, surgeon finger to cannulate. I think it looks like he's trying to get access to a vein. And he's saying ordinarily such a trauma 
would result in severe discomfort, but I am quite unable to feel pain. I'm guessing that's why his name subsequently it's like a pun. Like yeah, well, I mean, his birth name was Doctor Pain, so I mean, you know, why if it ain't broke, (laughs) why fix it? But I know he's a super villain and terrifying looking. But I guarantee you. If I yeah. include this link in the show notes, several of our surgical friends are going to look at this and salivate being, do you know how much more time I could get done or how much more I could get done in the OR if I had yeah. those hands? <laughs> so, I, I'm creeped out by it. I, I'm, not, I'm not loving it. It's scary. Yeah. So we had to talk about Morbius. Sure, but I sure. think we covered a couple of... Uh, I think we covered a couple conditions that you may not have realized were actually completely realistic, despite being in the fantastical world of superpowers. Yeah. So uh, hopefully it will give you kind of a cooler, you know, look at some of these that, you know, when you reflect on some of these scenes or some of these movies, you can say that, oh, you know, but that's plausible or that's interesting, or maybe it should have been this or that or any one of those things. Yeah, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed our M&M conference. Uh, no, not morbidity and mortality, Morbius <laughs> and mortality. <laughs> yeah. In our yeah. giant size annual number eight comic book medicine. Woo! I have to get back to the con. So uh, <laughs> that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and concerns. If, you ha- if you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading and occasional comic pages. Mm-hmm. Our, the show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, get your shot, wear a mask, practice good hygiene, pick up a book, preferably a comic one this week (laughs) find a place find a country that's open and safe and when you've done all those things happy travels bye everybody What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.